was a bit of a miscommunication uh, about the verses, so I'm going to read them again, uh, just starting in verse 1, and you'll see it up on the screen as well. Um, So, follow along with me there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful flesh, nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. My text this morning is one that I have heard many times throughout my life. One that, as I stand up here before you this morning, I I am trembling as I speak about and speak on. When I was, um, well, when I was 15, I became a Christian. My parents are both believers. My parents um, love the Lord Jesus. They taught us the gospel, but I never heard the gospel with my own ears in the sense that it was said to me, but it just sort of went in one ear and out the other, as we often say sometimes. And I, if you know me, you know um, that I, I like to study. I enjoy to study uh, scholastics, uh, rigorous study stuff. I enjoy that. Some of you are kind of like, that's insane, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, to each his own. But I, I grew up in, this, in a Christian home, and I knew the gospel, but I'd never heard the gospel. I, I was told multiple times from a young age that I knew more about the Bible than most adults which is not something you should say to children because it really fills them with pride. (laughs) Uh, Not a good kind of pride either, a bad kind of pride. Uh, I had an inflated image of myself. I thought better of myself than my actual relationship with God indicated. I did not know the Lord. I did not know the Lord. I was not saved until... I was 15, and I was at a, a youth conference uh, with my, my group, a group of students from my church, and I heard this passage along with the first, all of the first eight chapters of Romans. They were recited from memory by the speaker who was teaching that week at camp, and I heard the gospel for the first time, and my eyes were open to see that apart from Jesus Christ's blood shed on my behalf, his resurrection, and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
I did not know God as God wanted to be known. He revealed himself to me through his word. He reveals himself to you this morning through his word. As we look at this passage and we dwell on what it means for there to be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What it means for the law of the spirit of life to have set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I pray the spirit would move in your heart. And if you have not trusted Jesus, that the words of this passage, not the words that I speak, but the words of this passage would move your heart to faith in Jesus Christ. So, my conversion to Christianity, my faith in Jesus, and the book of Romans are linked directly so closely that I have read this passage so many times I could almost recite it by heart. And what I want us to see this morning is that the book of Romans, and this passage in particular, is about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth that God has made you in his image, and he has loved you with a love beyond anything you could ever understand. That he came for you in Jesus. Jesus came to us, taking on a human nature, dying the death we deserve so that we could be reunited to God and so that all things eventually would be renewed by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Chapter 8 in particular is about the Holy Spirit and His role in your life, the way that He has changed you and is changing you into the image of Jesus and how your salvation is completely secure in Christ. And so as we consider these things, I have three, three points for you this morning. My first point is freedom from condemnation. My second point is the authority of the Spirit and the sacrifice of Jesus. And my third point is life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. So my first point, freedom from condemnation. What does it mean to be free from condemnation? We need to understand what it means to be condemned before we can appreciate God's work in our lives to separate us from our sin and bring us back to him. Condemnation in the book of Romans, where this word, particularly this word for condemnation, is only used in the book of Romans, used three times by Paul. And the way it is used is to describe our position legally, in a legal sense, before God. We have been found guilty before God because of sin. And this condemnation means that for us, apart from God, we have no hope in the world. Apart from God, we are destined for hell. Apart from God, we look forward to an eternity of judgment. Those are harsh words. Those are heavy words. I don't say those words lightly. They don't fill me with joy. What fills me with joy is Romans 8, 1. Now that we know what it means to be condemned, we can glory in God's forgiveness of sin and the freedom from condemnation. What does it mean to be 
free from condemnation. Brothers and sisters, this morning when you woke up and into eternity, these, these words are the banner that hangs over your head everywhere you go. That there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Freedom from condemnation is the guarantee that in Jesus Christ, we will never, never be judged for our sin or receive its punishment. We will never be judged for our sin or receive its punishment. Jesus Christ received the just punishment of God on the cross on our behalf. It is not something we can do for ourselves, but something that must be done for us. This is good, good news. This fills me with joy. The punishment for your sin has been taken by the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He became the curse of sin for you by taking your sin on himself and dying in your place. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's worth repeating. Not just in a sermon or to yourself in your quiet time, but to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and to a world desperately in need of the good news that Jesus loves you and gave himself up for you so that you can spend eternity with him. That you can say, I am no longer condemned because of my sin. In fact, for the Christian, your sin has been condemned instead. The thing that separated you from God has been condemned by God. That's the power of the God of the gospel. That's the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have been moved in legal terms here from a position of guilt to a position of forgiveness, of mercy, of grace. Freedom from condemnation. That is the reality you live in as a Christian. I hope that encourages you because I am so, so quick to throw myself in the gutter. I am so quick to be willing to accept condemnation for myself. God, I don't deserve this. God, you should, you're better off without me. But that's not true. That God has seen you and loved you and said that you are worth infinitely more than you could ever imagine, Dominion. And he showed us that by securing our forgiveness. The second point I have for us this morning is the authority of the Spirit and the sacrifice of Jesus. The authority of the Spirit. What does it mean for us to be under authority? I think most of us know at least a little bit of what it's like to be under authority. We live in a world, uh, particularly where there are loads of different kinds of governments. Each government exercises authority in different ways, some in good ways, some in bad ways. On our day-to-day -day lives, we know that if we drive in this country, you're not allowed to park on a double yellow line, right? That's, in a way, what it means, in a small picture, to live under authority. We know that if we do this, we're going to be punished for it with a ticket. Uh, hopefully not. Uh, if you've got your flashers on on your car, or if your grandmother is in the passenger seat in the front, you're fine. But if she's not there, 
the flashers aren't on, you're probably going to get a ticket from a guard. That's what it means to live under authority. <laughs> it's kind of a silly example, but, it, but it's a good example because it's an, it's an accurate picture. So the Apostle Paul in this passage brings in the discussion of authority and law to help us understand how these things interact with one another. There are three laws in the book of Romans. The first law is the law of Moses. This is the law we're most familiar with in the Old Testament. right? It's, it's the law, do this, don't do this, this pleases God, this doesn't please God. Paul tells us that the moral demands of the Old Testament are still, for our part as humans, our responsibility to keep. And even where we don't know the law, the law is still required for obedience. That makes sense. I may have said that in a strange way. Even where there is no law, mankind becomes a law to himself. He creates laws in his own heart that he keeps and breaks. The second kind of law in Romans is the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the law that all people are born under. Every man, woman, and child who has ever been born is born under the law of sin and death. And under this law, this authority of sin, we are condemned to suffer punishment and to face judgment from God. But we know as Christians, as, we said in our, as I said in my first point, we don't face condemnation anymore. We still have to understand what this law is, just like we have to understand what it means to be condemned before we can rejoice that we're free from condemnation. The third kind of law is the law of the spirit of life. And it refers to the authority of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian and his power in your life. So where we were once slaves to sin as Christians, we are now free from the power and authority of sin because God lives in our hearts. It helps us to understand this passage because when we read it, we can get a bit confused. What does he mean mindset? What does he mean uh, set free? How does this all work together? Well, Paul says that the law, we could, never, we could never keep the law of Moses because that is the case. We are sinners before God, but we're also sinners because we are descendants of Adam. And the only way we can be set free from our sin and reunited to God is through the work of Jesus Christ. Paul goes further here because we know as Christians that we are not perfect, right? Right? Not perfect, right? Right? Yes. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. It's true. Sometimes they're not mistakes. Sometimes they're on purpose, but we're not perfect. That's the point here. Paul says in Romans 7 that we are at war with ourselves as Christians. We have a spirit that has been redeemed by God, and we have a flesh that is sinful. God has made both of these things, and ultimately they will both be renewed. But right now, for the Christian, only the spirit is renewed. Only the spirit is made alive. And so in that tension, we find that we struggle with sin in this life. We find that we get angry with our spouse. Or our friends. We, we struggle with jealousy towards what other people have. We want what we don't have. We envy. We do many things 
But the good news is that for our brothers and sisters here who are in Christ, myself included, yourselves included, the power of sin over your heart, over your life, has been broken by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because you have been brought to life, you now can live a life that pleases God and honors Him. This brings me here to my third point, my final point. And that is life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. Paul contrasts these two different kinds of living. There are three laws, could be a bit confusing, and there are two ways of life. There is a life that is united to God, and there is a life that is not. Paul wants to see the difference between those two lives. And to do that, I'm just going to read six verses 6 through 11 for, me, for you. And if you want to, you can stick it up on the screen, Vincent, if you, if you can. If you have your Bible, you can look at it with me here. Um, so I'm just going to read 6 through 11 to refresh our memories. Paul says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Those are incredible words. Encouraging words as this passage is so encouraging for us who are Christians. Paul is saying to us that because we have been saved by God, we want to live for Him. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is our righteousness. And he is also our guarantee for resurrection. Paul is kind of, not kind of, he is crafting for us in the book of Romans a comprehensive argument for the Christian's life, death, and resurrection into eternity. So here he says the fact that you have sin in your life as a Christian but you are resisting that sin, is a sign of your salvation. It is a good thing that you struggle, because if you were not struggling, then you're not dealing with the issue. Only the Christian recognizes sin in their life. Not on our own power, but on the power in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is explaining to us here that we have been transformed from our old way of life where we were, well, not alive spiritually, but dead and brought to life in the Holy Spirit. And he uses the language of uh, having our mind set on something. And that mind set on something, the language he uses there can be a little bit confusing for us. Uh, so a good, a good way to say it, another way to say it, is that the mind is being shaped by something. The mind is being shaped by something. And so, 
we could read it like this. The mind shaped by the flesh is death. But the mind shaped by the spirit is life and peace. You can see the clear contrast here, right? There is only two way, There are only two ways to live. And if we are with God, if we indeed have the spirit of Christ in us, then our hearts and our minds are being shaped by God. That shaping is the becoming more like Jesus. Because that is God's ultimate goal for us, the imitation of Christ. But if we do not have a mind shaped by the Spirit, our only destination is death. Indeed, it is all we can look forward to if we don't know Christ. And so we can see here that the difference between these two things is not just the mindset, but the authority that we live under, the authority of the Spirit or the authority of sin. It's good to to recognize these things because I said that I've read this passage so many times, but I often read it on its own. And because of that, I didn't fully understand Paul's argument for where he's headed, what God has for us. It's not just in Romans 8, but it's in Romans 1 to the end of the book as well. And so when we consider this reality that we have been redeemed as Christians, that we have been set free from sin and given the ability, the power through the Holy Spirit to live lives that honor God, Where does our mind naturally go to? For me, it goes toward application. How can I apply this truth to my life? What does this mean for me today? How can I be more like Jesus today? We can apply these ideas to our struggle with sin and ask for God's help. If we struggle with anger, if something small causes us to rise up in indignant frustration, we should be remembering, or we should remember that the anger of men seldom produces the righteousness of God. We can go to the Spirit and say, Lord, I am, I am so angry right now. Will you please take this frustration from me? Will you please release this frustration from me? Lord, help me. And in submitting those things to God, we move closer to being more like Jesus Christ. Another way that we can apply this thing, this, sorry, this truth, is that we can recognize if we struggle with anxiety, if we are worried about tomorrow, if we are inordinately afraid, we can know that the Spirit lives in us and is ready to minister to us with the sweet promises that God holds our future, that God has secured us, that we rest with God in eternity, something we're looking forward to. We can ask the Spirit to shape our hearts and our minds, not just for these two things that I've mentioned, they're just examples, 
Maybe they're for you. Maybe they're not. I know I struggle with anger and I struggle with anxiety. And that's why I told you about those two things. But those are not the only application for this truth. The truth for the Christian is that because the Spirit lives inside you, you can weather all challenges this life brings. And where we struggle, we ask for help from God. In fact, the entire life of the Christian is one of seeking God's help. As Luther said as well, the entire life of the Christian is one of repentance. We recognize our sin and we go to God. We repent and we ask for His help. We ask for Him to shape us in the image of Jesus Christ. And just to to conclude here, what I want for you this morning is to leave here in the confidence that you are no longer condemned for the sins you have committed and you will be forgiven by God for the sins you do commit. But that doesn't mean you can live however you like. Being transformed by God means that everything about us has changed. So we don't just sin because we know we'll be forgiven. But we live lives and we sin against God and seek forgiveness. Seek the help of the Spirit to change, to transform us. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were like me for so many years and you heard these words over and over again, but you never understood what they were saying, I pray you would consider giving your life to Jesus Christ this morning. That you would be moved by the reality that God has loved you and given himself for you and wants to live inside your heart. That you would recognize your sin and your separation from God and the price God has paid for you to know him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this word. Lord, as we go from here and out into our week, we pray that you would bless us, that you would change our hearts to be more like Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit, that you would remind us that our resurrection is secure because the Spirit has guaranteed it, that you would move our hearts to faith and greater faith in you And that where we do not honor you and seek ourselves, that you would humble us and shape our hearts and our minds to the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.